In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. So today is the Sunday before the 4th of July, which is the birthday of our curate, Father Graham Marsh. (laughs) Of course, July 4th is also the birthday of our beloved country, these United States, our earthly home. And it's the long custom of this parish to mark Independence Day on this Sunday. Uh, For nearly a century, since the 1928 revision of the American prayer book, the Episcopal Church has given Independence Day a place in the church calendar, appointing a collect and readings for this national day, as it's called. And these are the readings from Deuteronomy and St. Matthew's Gospel, which we have just heard today. Why is it, I wonder, that the church appoints these passages in particular for Independence Day? And how do these texts proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? These are the questions I want to consider with you this morning. Let's begin with the lesson from Deuteronomy. Remember that in the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel are assembled on the far side of the river Jordan, poised to enter the land of Canaan, the land the Lord had promised their father Abraham. As they prepare to enter the land, Moses reminds them of all that the Lord has done for them and rehearses the Torah, the law or the instruction the Lord has given them on Mount Sinai, calling them to faithful obedience to the Lord their God. That is, Moses rehearses the story of Israel, reminding them of who they are and who they are called to be, laying out the standards by which they will, to which they will be held to account, the criteria by which their history will be judged, teaching them what to value, teaching them how to order their loves. Our text comes from a passage that immediately follows Moses' recounting of the previous 40 years of Israel's history, beginning with the people's departure from Mount Sinai and tracing their long years of wandering in the wilderness. Now, with the memory of the past fresh in the minds of his people, Moses turns to the future. In a few lines before our passage, he says, At now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? This is to be their highest value. They are to love nothing more than the Lord their God, to fear nothing more than the Lord, to find their perfect freedom in his service. This is how they are to order their loves, God first and everything else after. St. Augustine famously spoke of human history as the struggle between two cities, the city of man and the city of God, the earthly city and the heavenly city, two cities intertwined throughout every earthly society, differentiated by the objects of their love, distinguished by what they love first. He says, the two cities were created by two kinds of love. The earthly city was created by self-love, reaching the point of contempt for God. The heavenly city 
by the love of God carried as far as contempt of self. In fact, the earthly city glories in itself, he says. The heavenly city glories in the Lord. The former looks for the glory from men. The latter finds its glory in the Lord. The earthly lifts up its head in its own glory. The heavenly city says to its God, my glory, you lift up my head. In the former, the lust for domination lords it over its princes as over the nations it subjugates. In the other, both those in authority and those subject to them serve one another in love. The one city loves its own strength, shown in its powerful leaders. The other says to its God, I love you, my Lord, my strength. The vocation of the children of Israel, the people of God, is to display the life of the city of God in this world by loving the Lord their God above all else, by finding their strength and glory in the Lord. Only if they do this will their loves be rightly ordered. Only in this way will their life together be whole. Otherwise, as the theologian Gilbert Mylander puts it, everything else will be distorted and twisted, loved in a way that is not quite right. Israel, the people of God, is called to be a people that love the Lord their God above all else. And they're also called to be a people characterized by humility. They are the chosen people whom the Lord chose above all people, yes. But they are not to forget that the Lord has chosen them not for any merit of their own, but simply because, as Moses puts it, the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them. Therefore, pride has no place among them. They exist as a nation, not out of their own strength, but because of the God who chooses the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Pride has no place among them. Rather, Israel is called to imitate the Lord their God in rendering humble service to the weak of the world. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, who also sees that justice is done for the fatherless and the widow, the most vulnerable in society, who loves the stranger and giving him food and raiment. As the Lord is, so Israel is called to be. And as if that were not reason enough, Israel is reminded that she herself was once a stranger, a resident alien, and therefore knows for herself the sighs and the cries of strangers in a strange land. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. This is the standard of justice to which Israel will be held to account throughout her history. Her prophets will call her again and again to return to this standard of righteousness. And it will be the standard by which all nations will be judged at the end of history, when all nations are gathered before Christ the King, as the Gospel of St. Matthew pictures it, and judgment rendered according to what each has done to the least of these, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, the fatherless and the widow, the unborn and the unproductive, 
the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Love of the stranger, justice rendered to the vulnerable, it stands opposed to what St. Augustine called the lust to domination. And this is the opposite of what Abraham Lincoln called the tyrannical principle. Of this tyrannical principle, Lincoln said, it is the same spirit that says, you toil and work and eat, earn bread, and I'll eat it. No matter in what shape it comes, he says, whether from the mouth of a king who seeks to bestride his own, the people of his own nation and live by the fruit of their labor, or from one race of men as an apology for enslaving another race, it is the same tyrannical principle. This brings us to the gospel and to the words of our Lord. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. These words come, of course, from the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus prophetically reinterprets the Torah, drawing out its heart and its spirit. He shows that the love of neighbor that forms the ethical heart of the Torah has no exceptions, that the category of neighbor is all-encompassing, broad enough to include even my enemies. Tell us where Christ gives a concrete picture of what it looks like to love an enemy in his parable of the Good Samaritan. In the parable, as you know, the expected villain, the Samaritan, with whom the Jews of Jesus' day harbored a mutual antipathy, this apparent villain appears as the hero of the story. The Samaritan shows mercy on the man who would be his enemy the Jewish man who fell among thieves, he binds up his wounds and gives him medicine and takes him to an inn to be healed. And Jesus tells this parable in response to a lawyer, an expert in the Torah, who sought to trap Jesus. It's a story designed to puncture the lawyer's pride, to humble him by revealing his own failure to do what the law commands and by holding up his enemy as a moral exemplar. It's doubly humiliating for the poor lawyer, but humility is the only cure for pride, and Jesus applies it to the lawyer's soul like the man in the story applies oil and wine to the wounds of the man who fell among thieves. At what Christ does for the lawyer in telling the parable so he does for his disciples, for you and for me, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, Love your enemies, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. And be ye therefore perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. These are words that lay bare our hearts, words before which no pride of no person and of no nation can withstand. They pierce through and lay bare the secrets of our heart. 
And in this way, they are words of judgment, revealing that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But at the same time, they are words of grace, for they point to the God who loves even his enemies. The Lord loves his enemies and that he gives the means of life to all without distinction, good and bad alike. He makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And above all, the Lord displays his love for his enemies in the suffering and death of his son, in praying for those who crucify him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In dying for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God. Why then does the church appoint these lessons for Independence Day? Perhaps it is to set before us again this law of Christ, and so to call us to our knees for our own sakes and for the sake of the country we so love. America, America, God shed his grace on thee, and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.